encouraged. I spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago who was here for the first time. He said the only time they'd actually heard of this verse before was through Stone Cold Steve Austin. And for some of you, that might be the case. Increasingly so it will be. In a post-Christian society, people may well have heard of this verse, John 3.16, but really not know its content. Just see American sports and uh, placards in the background behind the golfers or behind the baseball or whatever your sport is, underneath the eyes of Tim Tebow. And you'll have seen John 3.16. All of us come with baggage when it comes to this verse. And actually, I think it's a glorious opportunity for us to think about how is it that we read Scripture? How is it that we understand Scripture in the context of the rest of Scripture, in the context of the world, in the context of our own lives? How do we understand it in the context of John? How do we approach reading something that maybe we are very familiar with? And it's worth saying here um, that actually between verses 15 and 16, some of your Bibles will uh, continue on. If you have a red letter Bible, that's uh, where Jesus speaks. It all comes up in red. Uh, Some of you will have those red letters continue into our verses, and some of you won't. It's a bit of a debate. Is this Jesus? Is this John? Well, I think it's John. I think Jesus has been having a conversation with Nicodemus, and then John comes along and he gives some comment. And the reason I think that is because the language there is actually so much more Johannine. It's much more John language than it is Jesus language. Uh, it is very unlikely that Jesus would have called himself the one and only son, for instance. So, what's happened? Well, we've had all these verses that have come before, and now we have a comment from John that packs such a punch. And so I would like us to pray. Because honestly, there is so much depth and richness to what is in here that we could preach on this for days. And so what I would like us to do is ask God to show us exactly what it is that he wants to say to us in this moment. So Father, would you do that? Would you come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and show us the glory of the gospel the goodness of your heart for us worked out through the giving of your Son so that if we would believe in you, we would have life, life eternal. Lord, help us to understand the glory of the truth. Help us to see that this is, every, this is everything. If we believe this, it changes everything. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts, make us soft to receive from you. And Lord, would you make me not go wandering off in directions that aren't going to be helpful, but to be clear. And Lord, would you speak in power. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin with just one word, for... Johnny uh, is a wonderful elder, not here today, he's up in the Highlands, Lynn is running the half marathon in Inverness, so he's cheering her on. Uh, And he shows his helpfulness again here because he's from the Highlands. And uh, actually every time in the last couple of years that I've got to a passage that begins for, I think of Johnny, 
because Johnny doesn't just say for like for, he says before like for, before instead of before because he's from the Highlands. So every time I get a word like for, I go, Johnny, I need to think of what came before because that's how they speak in the Highlands. <laughs> Might help you. Get a word for, think before. Okay? Now, that means verse 15, okay? I'm smart me, nothing gets past me, okay? And that was the bronze snake that was lifted up in the wilderness that, that Lewis explained so well for us last week. If you weren't here last week, it sounds weirder than it is. But I think four goes all the way back to verse one. I think this four is supposed to be read in the context of John's building of his argument towards why we should believe. It is the why of the what that has come before. Beginning 1-1, we had a new creation. We were reminded that in the Word was, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. We were supposed to be transported in that moment back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's this new creation coming through this Christ, this, this man God, Jesus, and a new Torah. One fourteen, it says the word became flesh. The word of God was to be fulfilled in a person. Everything that the word had brought was coming together and culminating in the person of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that there was a new wine. A new wine because we see this first miracle, which might at first seem a little strange. Why would Jesus' first miracle be turning water into wine at a wedding? Well, it's because wine in the Bible was about abundance and goodness and generous, generosity that overflowed. It was to be a significant sign of the life that was to come, life that we could receive. And not only that, but the turning of water into wine in the cleansing jars was to show us that we could receive that life because something better, a fine choice wine was coming that would flow so much that in it there would be an abundance in order for us to receive forgiveness, and that was to be Jesus' blood. Joy was to come through Christ. And then a new temple we saw in chapter 2, verse 21. That is when Jesus said that he would be killed and raised up three days later. This temple, he said, would be destroyed and raised up three days later. He was talking about his own body. He was to be killed and destroyed and raised up. Instead of it being a judgment like they had seen before, where the judgment came down on Jerusalem and in Israel when the Babylonians came, this judgment that had been prophesied, Jesus brought about this, this a prophetic action by going into the temple and clearing it and saying your, your worship is all wrong. And instead of saying that this temple is going to be destroyed and raised up, he says this temple is going to be destroyed and raised up because I am the new temple and there'll be a new spirit that comes. And we'd already seen that when we saw John the Baptist proclaiming that a new spirit was to come. So there's a lot more. And actually last week, we saw how something of all of that had come before actually led to this discussion that Nicodemus had, this great teacher of Israel, because he came and he asked the questions. He said, okay, we've seen something of this. 
He said, well, but how do I gain eternal life? And he was really coming in the darkness of night to ask a question because he'd seen something of what could be true in this man. Is this a Messiah? And Jesus says, well, then you must be born again. You want, to, want eternal life? You've got, to be, you've got to be born again. You need saved from sin and death. And like Moses held up that bronze snake in the wilderness, when venomous snakes had surrounded the Israelites, Jesus would not become like Moses in this instance, but he would become like the bronze snake. Why? Because he would embody sin. He'd become sin for us and be raised up. And we know that that's what happened. He was raised up on the cross, became sin for us, so that we could be saved, saved from death, saved from Satan and all his lies, saved from the venom of the snake and of sin and death and suffering. So this is what Jesus has come to do so far. This is what we've seen and more. But why? Love. God so loved. For those uh, who were with us while we were preaching through Joshua and 1 2 Samuel, you'll remember a Hebrew word that I kept banging on about Hesed. It's the heart of God's covenant with the people of Israel. It's not just some, some sentimental love. And on the other side, it's not just some legal love where it's just got to, you've got to just, God just felt like he had to fulfill his obligations. This is the fullest form of love. It's ever flowing. No matter what comes back, he just keeps loving. That's what you see with the Israelites, isn't it? All the way through. His love is steadfast. It's ever devoted. It's active. It's not just a card on the mantelpiece with all kinds of mushy language in it, it also is love in action. A few husbands just got the nudge. Can't just say the words. We've got to, we've got to do it. We've got to do the deeds. We've got to actually love. Maybe you treat the Bible that way. You see God's word as something beautiful and sentimental and, and worship, you feel close to him. But then do you really believe when the tough moments come that love will turn to action? Interestingly, hesed in the Old Testament is often paired with light, the light of a new dawn. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your hesed, unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says, Because of the Lord's hesed, great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How much does the world need a new dawn of God's love? How much is the world so lost in darkness that the warmth 
of God's loving rays might shine on it. The word here, agape, is one of ancient Greek's best-known words. It speaks some of this same sort of love, love that still loves without reciprocity. I always struggle with that word. An unwavering choice to love out of character, out of what's truly in God that can never be denied, that can never be stopped. But the arrangement of verse 16 actually tells us that John really wants this to be read like Hesed love. Our seventh word, that, for God so loved the world, that, comes from the indicative verb in Greek, so the boffins tell me, when usually it would be an infinite verb. It's an it will happen, not an it might possibly happen. It's like the difference between asking a baby boomer in their 60s and a Gen Z student if they are coming to the prayer meeting next month. Like the indicative baby boomer, keen to give a definite answer, the infinitive student wants to keep their options open. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. God's love was always leading here. A new day was dawning. And all because of love. Because God is love. That leads us to our next two words. The world. Whoa. Easy, John. Causing a bit of controversy there in the synagogues as they listen to it in Ephesus and other towns and cities in the Greco-Roman world. You can imagine some synagogue seat shuffling, probably anger. When they heard gift, they would think of the gift of Torah, or they would think of the gift of the land, entrusted only to the Israelites. In Jewish tradition at this time, rabbis would speak of the nations being shrouded in darkness because they had not received Torah. They had not received God's word. As where the Israelites had been entrusted with God's word and received it, and so therefore they were in the light. But now, the Torah, remember, has become flesh, Jesus. God was always going to bless the nations. We saw that again a couple of weeks ago at at that moment where Jesus goes into the temple and we see that in the outer courts it's supposed to be a place for the nations to come and worship and they turned it into a den of robbers, a place for transaction rather than worship. Genesis 12 tells us as early as that, when God begins to call this people Israel out through Abraham, that he would be a blessing to the nations, that his ancestors would be a blessing to the nations. And now, says John, it's spilling out. It's overflowing to every tribe and to every tongue and to every nation. This wasn't limited. This love had always, had always been intended to go to the whole world. And John says, this is the moment. Through Jesus, every nation 
will be blessed. He's making a new covenant with the world, the covenant Nicodemus should have known about. He should have known it was coming through this new birth. Jesus had said in the previous passage, you should not be surprised by these things. And you're Israel's teacher, and you do not understand. He missed the significance, the Ezekiel language, the Jeremiah language, that he should have known that this should have come through new birth. Think, if you know your Bibles and you think back to Ezekiel 37 and the Valley of Dry Bones, right before that, there's tons of new covenant language, new promises coming that were to be about a blessing to the nations, not just to Israel. And that when you get to chapter 37, you see this Valley of Dry Bones, what happens? Death is given life. I mean, that which is dead in the dry bones is given flesh, new heart. A new dawn. Light rising on the Samaritans, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, even the barbarians. Here, the people who lived here were the barbarians. Even they, even us, were to receive this overflowing love, the Hesed love of God, this one-way, overflowing, glorious love, unfailing in every way. When John says world, he's focusing on the pinnacle of, the, of creation. He's not talking about the things of the world, Although the things of the world matter to God, of course they do. But actually we see later on, don't we, that it's whoever believes. You see, this this, uh, love is not just coming to great things. No, no, the the focus is on us, it's on people. You know the slogan for Glasgow? People make Glasgow, right? Glaswegians make up Glasgow. When we say God loves Glasgow, when we say, uh, along with the motto for Glasgow, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name, we're not saying that we want nicer cafes and nice food spots. We're not saying that we want to just admire the, the incredible architecture. We're not just saying that our football, famous football teams are great, whichever one you think is great, whichever one you think is unmentionable. It is the people that Jesus has come for. He's come out of his great love for you. Let's move on. That he gave his one and only son. Now, that phrase, one and only son, for any Jew would take them to the difficult passage of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is led into the wilderness to give a sacrifice. God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Genesis 22. Perhaps hearing in the synagogues in that moment, the penny finally drops on this story. God spares Isaac in this story. He spoke aloud. He stops Abraham 
and he provides a ram in the thicket. And Abraham calls the place, the Lord will provide. And that phrase developed in Israel. This phrase would go around, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Think forward to that Calvary hill. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God doesn't just give Torah, he gives Torah embodied the word of the Lord in the flesh. God the Son sent by God the Father to provide the sacrifice required. The sacrificial system was thorough. There were all kinds of sins that needed covered and atoned for, but there was one problem. The ram and all the other sacrifices, all that blood and burning of flesh was never going to be enough. We needed a pure, blameless sacrifice who could truly represent the people. In the dark nights when sin surrounded and entangled the realisation that sacrifices and the efforts of religion would still fall short, how glorious it would be to discover that a new and better sacrifice was coming. A new Adam without sin. And in Christ we find him. A new light had dawned. Let's keep going. So that, the, that whoever believes in him will not perish. Believing is far more than intellectual belief. To believe here means to trust him. In fact, it, it's, it's a little bit more th- even than that. It's actually to cling to him. Psalm 63, 8 says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. The singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. David wrote this as he was being hunted down. Death surrounded him. I can't imagine Abraham's anguish with the son who he loved and how terrified Isaac must have become. Perhaps they understood something that many of us today struggle to see, the great implications of sin. We can only really make sense of life when our eyes are opened to the great problem of life. When Eve ate from the tree and shared it with Adam, there was corruption in every single part of life. And sadly, we are often fooled into thinking that sin is to sit under the surface, undetected, 
And actually, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's okay. It is a big deal. It's subverting every part of life. It's destroying the vision that God has for humanity. It's destroying you and it's destroying the people around you and it's destroying this world. Northern Northern Irish theologian Christopher Wright points out um, four areas of corruption purely from Genesis 3 um, that so pervade in every part of life. The first is spiritual because like Eve, we allow Satan to question the goodness of God. That's what sin does. The second is intellectual. Like Eve, we are rationalizing sin. Maybe it is good to eat. Physical. Because like Eve, we take and we eat in disobedience. And it's social because like Adam and Eve together, we fool ourselves into thinking it's all right because everyone else is doing it. And we build Babylons instead of Zions. No wonder judgment is coming. Jesus described it like a little yeast in the dough. It doesn't stop at one, it grows and it pervades and it doesn't stop, it just keeps going. It's in us all and it needs removed, otherwise we perish in it away from God, and we face the consequences of judgment. Have you come to terms with that? Have you seen it in yourself? Do you see it in the world? Have you had that moment of realization where you see that you are slipping into a world away from God that only leads to a place of perishing? That's what we continue to see again and again and again in the Bible. And the evidence is out there too. We just need to open our eyes. Remember the, Jesus, uh, the judgment Jesus pronounces in his act of clearing the temple? It was to remind them of the judgment God brought to these Babylonians. When the Babylonians came to town 600 years before that, Judgment came against their false religion where they were accommodating other gods, other idols. This time Jesus was saying, this self-righteous false religion is just as bad. And that's what we see in verse 18. No matter your pursuit, there is only one way in which we can be saved. Verse 18, whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's the inevitable consequence of living life away from God. Verse 19 takes us back uh, then to the nothingness of a pre-creation abyss. Blacker than black, no light can be self-generated there. I mean, it's impossible to imagine, but try. Before creation, there's just nothingness. How are you going to create some light in there? You can't. The same is true spiritually. 
we are condemned already. But there was a greater inevitability than the inevitability of our inability to be saved from our own sin. (laughs) Until the mighty and miraculous word of God spoke, let there be light, there was no possibility of light and life. Think about it. In our sin, we are destined to perish in the dark, away from God. There is no possibility of self-generating a way to escape. Except, remember, there is another inevitability. One that can miraculously destroy the other. One that causes the darkness to flee. Later in John, Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God's loving action is certain. Verse 19 begins, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. His light has burst in. You and I need it. There is no other option. There is not a, this is not a lifestyle choice. This is not some extra option on the side. We need Jesus in every single way. We need him. The inevitability is that we will perish unless we trust in the inevitable love of God, which always was going to see Jesus, the Son of God, sent and come and willingly die on the cross so that you could be substituted, so that he could stand in your place, so that he would be willing to take your sin. The inevitable, hesed, glorious love of God has come, the light has come there is a new dawn there is a new morning and you are getting invited it is him we can cling to and we will not perish like mary magdalene will do we must cling to jesus only there can we be saved only then can we benefit from what god has given us by believing by trusting. Do you believe? Let's keep going. But have eternal life. If perishing is to be away from God and condemned under his righteous judgment, eternal life is to dwell in his light and life forever. To enjoy his hesed love, to enjoy agape. Eternal life is not simply quantity, It is not simply an escape. It is to step into your true humanity. It is to step into what you were made for, to be loved by God. Eternal life is the most extraordinary and exciting thing that the world has ever seen. It is not what culture wants to make of it. It is not dull. It is not you playing around in clouds with chubby little angels. It is gloriously good because you get to be with the very one you are made to be with for the rest of eternity. It is good because God is at the centre of it. It is wonderful because you will never cease 
to be loved by God and not able to do anything other than love him in return. It is so exciting, not because we are shouting about how exciting it is, but because God himself is exciting. He is good. He is wonderful. There are not enough superlatives to explain to you how amazing he is. He is awesome. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of how awesome he is. We must not be fooled into loving darkness. Because by doing it, we are denying God. And we retreat into the shadows and lose the true delight of life itself. God. In verse 20, John warns us that the exposure of our sin is what may keep us hiding in the dark. But let's get real here. God sees it anyway. It will be revealed. There is nothing that you can keep hidden from him. So if you're hiding something right now and it's keeping you from God, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. Get on your knees and repent. Say to him, Lord, I'm so sorry. I want life and I want it to the full. You have a choice. You humbly accept the righteousness of God, confess your sin and enjoy his forgiveness won for you on the cross and his light will overcome. Or you continue to deny the light of Christ and retreat into the shadows until it is exposed anyway when it is too late. Have eternity through Christ speak into your heart. Now, for a new light has dawned. Are you enjoying the radiant beams of eternal light that are shining on you? Let his warmth pervade your cold and weary bones. Let his loving affection and action be your strength and your joy. Walk with him in true light. And the way to that is belief, clinging to Jesus. Cling to the coattails of Jesus, pull yourself into him and let him lead you through life. Yesterday, we visited Calvin Grove. We actually saw the Kennedys, who were just there. And... Um, we uh, were kind of just wandering around and enjoying one of the amazing museums in Glasgow. And uh, we didn't actually see it yesterday, but did you? There you go. It's amazing, isn't it? Salvador Dali, Christ of St. John. It's in our city. It's one of the most incredible paintings. Go and see it if you've not seen it. One of the things I love about it is that like verse 15, which leads into our passage today, Jesus is raised up on the cross. 
And it is only through him being raised up on the cross and dying in our place that we can truly find freedom. That we can truly find freedom from our sin. From the sin of the world, sin sinned against us. And find the joy of forgiveness and knowing God. Believe in him. Believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but gain eternal life. His love is inevitable. His light has come and it has overcome the darkness. But will you believe? Will you cling to him? Will you not hide in the shadows, but come out humbly and enjoy him forever?